640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. Okay, let's do that. 7.33 in the morning on this Tuesday, one degree right now. And you heard uh, Mr. Big Voice in the intro say two guests, but that's not accurate. That's, that's the first lie Mr. Big Voice has ever told. We have three guests this morning, and I can't tell you, I've been pushing really hard to have a three-person think tank panel and all this resistance. You get nothing but resistance. You bang your head against a brick wall over and over again. But here we are. Uh, ladies first, we welcome the esteemed. She knows I'm a big fan. We had so many visits when she was running for mayor. I want her to run for mayor the next four times in the next 16 years, but I don't think it'll take that long for her to be Toronto's next mayor. We'll see. Mitzi Hunter joins us, former MPP for Scarborough Guildwood. It's lovely to talk to you. Hi, Greg. It's great to talk to you too. And you were uh, you were at the uh, at the big. Uh, it was it a convention, Mitzi, on Saturday. Was it an announcement? Was it a pseudo a cheap excuse for a party? How would you describe what Saturday? I guess it was a convention without it being a convention, right? It really was. It kind of felt like that with the anticipation as each round of uh, the numbers were announced, and in between there was a lot of interaction between members because we haven't seen each other in so long so it was it really was uh, an exciting time and um we just, you know continue to wait until the final final vote was counted and uh of course mayor bonnie crombie is now that's the right leader and in a previous lifetime when you first became an mpp you, you would it would take a long time to get around the room and say hi to all the other liberal mpps it, it doesn't take you as lo- i'm kidding it doesn't take you as long anymore but you're trying to change that we're trying to we're trying to move that forward move that move that truck down the road a little bit right and, and there were a lot of former <laughs> mpps in cabinet well there's a lot more of them than current you're right we had yeah to say hi to, so it, it was a fun experience nonetheless <laughs> uh anchoring it for yes it's up on youtube if you get listen if you get bored i was i was combing through it last night i think it's five hours and 42 minutes the marathon man on tv ontario's live stream steve pakin along with john michael mcgrath who had to you know, you'd, you'd hit him in the knee several times when it was his turn to ask a question. Is he bruised? Did he end up any any meniscus tears or anything from you yeah, doing I think, that? I think he got through it okay. And you, and you do know the key to a five-hour and 42-minute broadcast, don't you? <laughs> the key, Greg Brady, <laughs> is bladder control. There you go. My secret is out. Yes, I know. But when Kathleen Wynn spots out of the corner of your eye during an 18-minute speech, Steve Pakin making a beeline to the bathroom, can you repair oh, that relationship is. after that? Never did. Sorry, never did. Didn't leave that chair for five hours and 42 minutes. Yeah, And it wasn't a convention. It, I mean, a con- at a convention, you actually vote. You don't vote a week ahead of time. So I don't know what it was called, but it wasn't a convention. It was not a uh, it was not That's a convention. The old man coming out there. Well, uh, when we I saw uh, you guys uh, together and you're back together on our show. You were, uh, did a great segment on uh, Saturday afternoon, I think between the I think between the first and second ballot instead of the second and third ballot. Um, but it was it was dramatic television. People started to, uh, the audience started to accumulate as the day went on. Ben Mulroney is in studio with us as well, and he'll be in the Toronto Today chair. Wednesday through Friday. Do you love the the political convention stuff? Do you enjoy the uh, 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 the, the I, drama? Of I it? do, Gregory. I do, Gregory. Thanks. And thank you for uh, adding me as a late minute, a last minute addition to this. Uh, my favorite uh, convention story. Uh, Steve and I talked about watching my father in 1983, but my favorite convention story I think was in sometime in in the early 90s, um, and it was one of the federal NDP. 
conventions. And this was back when they still had paper ballots. And I started watching it because the chief anchor from the CBC, whom I will not name, was developing. <laughs> no, because the story is that he okay. was developing a boil on the top of his lip. Oh, OK. And You're protecting the, the amount person. of time that they took to count the ballots meant that this thing was growing in real time. And my mother came in wow. and she said, why you're still watching this? I was like, mom, you got to see this thing. This is incredible. And she sat there and said, oh my God, it is getting bigger. It was starting to pulsate and sweat. And we were watching them. And you know, during the commercial break, they're coming in and putting makeup on it. And I didn't care who won that thing. I wanted to see between the battle of the anchor the and, the, and, the, and the boil, the battle who was going to win. It was the best TV I'd seen uh, on the CBC in oh my life. Oh my gosh, don't say you know, that. Today, that. That boil today would have its own Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 would, yeah. it would be battling with uh, Mike Pence's fly yeah. on, <laughs> on his head at the uh, Mike Pence Kamala Harris debate. You're seven years old on that floor. In uh, are, are you oh, on no, the I, floor? No, Did no, you go I, to Ottawa? I, I watched it from Dad Montreal. Dad didn't want you there? Well, okay, I mean, can you imagine what that you thought room you were smelled heckle, like? The amount of cigarette Clark? smoke. You don't want kids in that room. Okay. And the fa- <laughs> But the fact is, they never told me we were going to move to Ottawa. That was I just assumed <laughs> that Dad had a new job. But if I had known yeah, that I, we were going to have to move to Ottawa, I would have seriously reconsidered my enthusiasm for his victory. Yeah, and and just just alone, winter lasts like an extra seven weeks there. It's oh, yeah. not like forget what the groundhog says. Oh, it's yeah. Ottawa yeah, compared it's, to mm-hmm. uh, compared to but the can GTA. I, can I do a little fact check here? Your father has told me, Ben, yes. that when you got to Ottawa, he said. Now, look around, kids. Don't get used to any of this because we're only here for a short time. Yeah. Oh, no. It was all it, it was it was a fiction that they threw us. And we lived we lived in a hotel for a while. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. This is what life is going to be like. And then, oh. you know, and then next thing, you know, 24 Sussex. But then Steve, Kim Campbell used that line a decade later. And she was right. Turned so, out to be true. right. <laughs> you know, eventually someone's going to be right about that particular uh, political prediction. All right. We're going to get into some of that politics and some of Saturday's uh, fallout in just a little bit. But Mitzi, I want to start with you because I, your platform, you had a fix the six platform. We talked about it a bunch and we talked about transit. We also talked about transportation. So you're seeing this now, the city of Toronto getting sued by Uber. Um, we're playing some Tuesday morning quarterback here. But I, I'm asking you if, you if you think the city should have seen some legal action coming. You're telling a private business how they can operate and how they can be capped. And of course, there's regulations that a big city like Toronto has to have. But there was a lot of warning from the chief solicitor of the city that this could happen. And now it has. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, well, this wasn't in my platform in terms of a way to tackle congestion or whatever the reason is that uh, this has come about to cap the licensing that are going to Uber drivers. And and it came without warning. And I think that's the biggest um, downfall that the city has is that it didn't follow its own usual process of, you know, telling people what's going to happen, soliciting input, input and um, and really giving those that will be impacted fair warning. So you, what happens is that you have people that are paying their fees to get licensed and, you know, and now they're they're frozen out of the process and uh, and, and they feel harmed by that. So the city has gotten itself into a little bit of a of, of a situation here. And uh, and it's now I mean, the mayor is is trying to explain it while at the same time not being able to say much because there is a legal process uh, underway and uh, and she's not going to be able to comment on it fully. So it is, um, it sh- it sh- they should have had a bit more foresight and followed their own process of, of really getting people's input before going down this road. Ben Mulroney, hate yeah. the idea of a broke city, yeah. $1.5 billion. The province comes to their aid nine days ago, but we can't enjoy nice things very long because this-, this could be a lengthy, protracted, 
costly, and you're going against a billion dollar company. You're yeah. not going against billion. You're not going against Sam's tires. Billion is what they find in the couches <laughs> at Uber. This, first of all, we got to call things what they are. This is not an attempt by the city. Uh, to hit their 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 zero emissions targets by 2030. First of all, Uber has that as one of their goals as well. They're going to have an only electric fleet by That's then. That's the goal anyway. for North right. America. They want an all electric fleet by yeah. 2030. If if they had really wanted that, um, as you said it right before the break, they could have incentivized new uh, Uber drivers. You get a license. You get you get a, you get authorized by the city if you have an electric vehicle. They could have done that. They didn't do that. There are 52,000 licenses for rideshare uh, companies across the city. There are over 1.1 million cars. It's not exactly a drop in the bucket, but it's not exactly, it's not the bucket. So this is, to me, this is, this is, I, I know what this is. This is an attempt to get people out of cars and onto the TTC. But I heard a morning show host years ago in this city saying, you don't make uh, the TTC more attractive by making driving less attractive. You actually have to invest in the TTC, and you got you've got to do whatever you got to do. This is mm. this isn't this is and, and by the uh, way, let me chat. Yeah. But you can make the you can make driving more attractive if the TTC is not reliable. So why can't it work the other way around? Because because my default setting because and the default setting of drivers is I'm in my car. Get give yeah. me a reason to get yeah. out. Don't make my don't make my life harder in my car. If you think you think that's going to get me in the TTC, no, that's just going to anger me against the city and. And look, you just said it uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a protracted legal battle. Who do you think is going to win? The cash-strapped city or the multi-billion dollar uh, company? And by the way, people, people more or less, whether or not they love Uber, they like using it. They have chosen this. They have voted with their pocketbooks. You are deprived. You are trying to legislate behavior here in a way that will not work out for the city. Mm. This, they're trying to make a bed that they want Uber to lie in, and Uber will not take it. They, they won't take it lying down. Steve, they really have taken on a giant here. Like I said, this isn't some uh, mom and pop shop. This this reminds me a little bit of the federal government going in. But when you're going when you're going in on that bill, you're going against Google and Meta. They got money to bleed via the legal means to get what they want at the end of the day. How do you view this story? Yeah, that's quite true. I don't I don't disagree with anything I've heard so far. And I, I think at the foundation of this story is a fundamental disagreement about what Uber is. I mean, Uber came on the scene. Uh, yes, they're in the transportation business, but they always branded themselves first and foremost as a technology company, as an innovation company. And they feel they have found an innovation in the marketplace that people like, and they feel that ever since then they've been punished for it. And the city is sort of regarding them as just kind of another taxi company. And they're not really another taxi company. Yes, they perform similar functions, but they're not really like that. Thus the disagreement here, thus the court case, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see how the city wins this, but none of us is lawyers, so we'll see. Greg, I, Go just, ahead, ben. I, yeah, just, I just want to point out, when, as, as people are listening, I do come from a position of authority on this. No one in Canada— You're an Uber driver? Listen to this. No one in Canada has a longer relationship as a rider than me. I am rider zero in Canada. I was the very first Uber rider in Canada. I did not know that. Yes, how, would we, how would we not have known that before I, now? I, I, I took a ride from my house uh, to oh a restaurant heavens. downtown when, when they were first launching in this city. So when you hear me speak, I speak from a position of esteemed <laughs> you speak from knowledge. U- esteemed Uber yes. rider. And, and you know what, Greg? 
Greg, yeah. I'm at the exact opposite end of that spectrum. I maybe use it three times a year. Yeah. We're going to check Ben's rating, though. I heard there's a little, <laughs> little some loud talk. I get that yeah. loud talking yeah. in the back seat, and I get like a 3.8 instead of a, a 5. Mitzi, I wanted to bring up Scarborough, too, because Uber's yeah. put out data. Um, Scarborough's been, look, they've gotten the short end of the stick. Uh, they've been underserved in terms of public transit, then the RT closure, and Uber notes, and it's hard to dispute these facts, that Uber's become a lot more popular in Scarborough. Not because people like a nice clean back seat or their privacy. They have no other choice, yeah. do they, to get downtown to Toronto. And then you're telling an Uber driver from Scarborough, you can take somebody to Toronto, but you can't pick anybody back up and take them anywhere else based on the rulings. Yeah, so so this is also a consequence of, of this decision is that it's going to affect people in suburbs like Scarborough that, you know, we're not well served by the current TTC, the, the SRT just closed, and, and people don't have alternatives, so they turn to ride sharing. And, and so this actually, maybe it's an unintended consequence, but limiting the number of drivers and, and, and you know, Ben, you heard from Ben, he's, you know, the drivers aren't necessarily all coming from downtown. Many are coming from the suburbs, and they are going to mm. also find it more difficult to get those licensing. And, uh, and it limits people's access and choice as well. So uh, I don't think people are going to be too happy about that. And when what happens when the, the cars become scarcer is that the prices will go up. Bingo. Because that's yep. what that technology will do. Yeah, we've all sat there Friday, 10 o'clock or Saturday night at 1130, and we know the surge pricing is going to be quite significant. And, and a lot of the cabs don't want to take you five or six blocks. But Uber's got that commitment because they've bought in. They know where you're going and they've committed to take you. And we need more of those options than cab drivers uh, jumping up prices. I want to keep moving on this and let's get to Bonnie Crombie. Had a conversation with her yesterday afternoon and I hadn't heard a full on explanation about this house in the Hamptons and driving Maseratis around. So here's her explanation of the property she owns uh, near Long Island. Here's what she said. For the record, uh, my husband and I inherited a home in a very blue-collar, middle-class town on Long Island, and nowhere near the Hamptons. But, you know, I, I have worked and earned every penny that I have ever made. I have not had the benefit of inheriting a company that my father built. So God bless them for what they have achieved and for the cottages and homes in Florida. I don't... I. I, I <laughs> You know, I, and, and, and I think that's wonderful when people um, are, achieve success and have a measure of success. All right, Steve Pakin, let's start with you. You've seen your share of political attacks. I bet you're on stage at, uh, at the Metro Toronto Convention Center Saturday hosting. And before you even got off, you showed Bonnie Crombie the attack ad from the Conservatives. What may have surprised more people is there was one from the Ontario NDP shortly soon after. Like, there used to be a bit of a honeymoon period, maybe if it was only 24, 48 hours. But we see both provincial parties, guns blazing, headed towards Bonnie Crombie. Why? Well, in, in fairness to the NDP, Mara Stiles also put out a, a, a statement, which was actually very laudatory and yes. very, uh, very nice. And I like to see that. That was good. Uh, since Ben's on the call here, and I mentioned this to him on the weekend, yes, he uh, did. When, John, when John Turner <laughs> won the Liberal leadership in 1984, uh, one of the first letters he got was from Brian Mulroney, who had won the PC leadership in 1983, saying, welcome to the fight. Congratulations on winning the convention. And you know, game on. Uh, yeah, there were. It was a little classier back in the day. Um, look, at, I understand what's going on here. We all do. This is an attempt by the Progressive Conservative Party to frame Bonnie Crombie as a certain kind of person. Uh, we'll see whether or not it works. I do find that, if I can use this word, it's a bit rich 
for Doug Ford to play this game, given that he is the son of a multimillionaire, given that he owns homes in Toronto, in Florida, and in Muskoka, uh, given that Bonnie Crombie told us at the leadership election, not convention, election on the weekend, that she actually grew up uh, part of her life living in a rooming house because her drug-addicted father left the family when she was three years old and her parents split up at that point. Uh, The the Fords did not exactly grow up in that kind. Anyway, you know... This is about framing your opponent, but, but you know, facts still matter, and I think it's worth putting some facts on the table here uh, that show that the story is a little more nuanced than what's been portrayed so far. Mincy, yeah. is this just you roll your eyes at this kind of politics? I don't care who comes from means. I don't care who doesn't come from means. What's your policy? What are you going to do for my means and my wallet at the end of the day? Isn't that what we should be asking? Well, you know, I was on the leadership election floor as well, and I thought it was really smart of Bonnie Crombie that in her first moment, she told her own story. And, you know, with a thousand people in the room, everyone was quiet listening to that because it was coming from her mouth and it was her experience. And so, you know, what this shows is that not only is, you know, Premier Ford and and his um, uh, his uh, party afraid of her, but so is the official opposition. They are all afraid of Bonnie Crombie because she does change the game and she does shake things up and, and she's going to hit back. So she knows it's going to be rough and it's already started, but she's ready. She's equipped. She's battle ready. She's, you know, been in politics for, and, and at different levels and she's ready to take it on. And uh, I just thought, you know, how great of her to seize that moment when everyone is watching, everyone is looking, all the cameras, all the eyes are on her, and she told her own story. Interesting. Ben, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I agree mostly with what, what Mitzi said. I don't think anybody's afraid of anybody. I don't think, I don't think um, Bonnie's afraid of Doug. I don't think Doug's afraid of Bonnie. But I think as they look at this new leader, they have there's, there, there's, there's new math to do. I'll, I'll also say, I think, uh, yes, w- we missed the days of, of the magnanimous congratulations on your victory uh, to my opponent. But we're living in a world of really short news cycles. And and sometimes certain things fall by the wayside and yeah. and, and politeness is, is the is probably one of the first. But there's a lot to like about Bonnie Crombie. She's um, photogenic. She is um, she's got a, a, a deep, deep resume of public service. Uh, she lights up a room. She's an effective communicator. But I think one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, is people have to remember that the liberal brand is the most successful political brand in the history of Western civilization, whether it be uh, provincial, federal, or otherwise. And you can never, I don't care if you got eight seats or two seats, by the next election, that can change. There's Justin Trudeau turned around in 2015, um, uh, turned that brand around uh, because of his personal brand, but also because it was a liberal brand. If he was sitting on uh, in in a different party, I don't know that he has that success. The liberal brand can, re- can experience resurgence in a moment's time in Canada, there's a connection between the people and that brand, the likes of which doesn't exist in other countries. And and yeah. I think the Tories know that when you put that all together in, in, in a pot, you have you've got to go on the offensive immediately. 
immediately or suffer the consequences. And it does, Steve, it does take time, but it's been, you know, it, it took eight or 10 years for the for the conservative party to morph into the reform party and then come back around and circle back to where Stephen Harper was not just an electable prime minister, but was going to have a dominant run as a, as a guy that could win three elections. But it does take it does take its years to do that. Well, one of the interesting things you're seeing at Queen's Park these days, if you're uh, demented like me and watching question period too often, (laughs) is that you'll find the government of the day uh, tends not to attack the official opposition very much and tends to attack the liberals who are the third place party, who are not even an official party at Queen's Park, right? They've only got nine seats. And yet the government spends what seems to be a disproportionate amount of time attacking them as opposed to the official NDP opposition. Why is that? Because clearly the conservatives suspect that their real challengers next time out are going to be the liberals and not the NDP. I hear you. Hey, let's move to. Oh, go ahead, Mitzi. Can I, can I, I absolutely say, jump in. So, so, so um, Ben really, in his wonderful explanation of the the trusted brand that the liberals have in this province and country, meeting that with a dynamic leader such as Bonnie Crombie is what will give us that advantage in 2026. And, and that's what Doug Ford smells and, and why he's reacting the way he's reacting with her soon out of the gate. Well, and here's why I want you to come back on the show. They needed a dynamic leader like Mitzi Hunter in 2020, Mitzi, and um, they didn't get it. Greg, you're the president of the fan club today, aren't you? Yeah, I know. Checks in the mail. Direct deposit. We used to, It's not 1986 anymore. I won't actually physically I mail. And, I, and I'm honored to have it. That's actually true. All right, let's talk CBC. I think let's go to the, the former CBC employee here. I think this is a serious issue, but we the broadcasting industry has got its struggles. Steve Pakin, you worked at CBC a long time. It's when most of us were, would have first seen you on TV. Job cuts. It's painful to read the stories like it, it rips us all out because anybody who's been a broadcaster has had their highs and lows, has said, hey, we want to hire you. Hey, we don't want that anymore. So what should the, I'm asking, what should the CBC become? What should it be? Has it morphed? Has it changed? How do you view its importance in our landscape? Wow. Big question, hard question. And the short answer is I've always thought the CBC, boy, this is going to sound self-interested, but I believe it. I've always thought the CBC ought to be more like TVO. I've always thought the CBC should be a non-commercial, high-quality programming outfit. I don't think they should be showing sitcoms from the United States or game shows from the United States. Ben has stood up and is applauding your speech uh, in the House of Commons right now. I'm giving you a slow clap, sir. Private broadcaster Ben Mulroney is loving this. Mulroney is loving this. Yeah, yeah. The political angle on this, though, Greg, I find fascinating because, you know, one one of the clear planks of Pierre Polyev's uh, upcoming election campaign, whenever it happens, is going to be defunding the CPC to the point where he essentially puts English language television out of business. And and one of the reasons he says is that uh, clearly the CBC is in bed with the liberal government. That's what he says. And yet here we are with a significant cutback by the liberal government of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I don't know if the, if the if the federal liberals love the CBC so much, why would they be cutting them back? more than $100 million and forcing the firing of 600 people. I, I, someone's got to explain that one to me. Well, well I, th- I think, I think look, look, if you want to go down that road and, and, and look for the conspiracy, which I don't think exists, but if you want to, one could suggest, okay, we're going to make a cut today that's going to show that we're not in bed together so that when Pierre decides he wants to come after you, it's harder for him to make that link. Could be. 
Yep. That could be. But look, uh, uh, Greg, I, I, I worked uh, in a pri- at a private broadcaster for years. I would go on the road. I read, I read about that. I would go on the road and I would and it would be me and a camera operator. And if I was lucky, I'd have a producer with me. And then yeah. I would look to my left and I would see Global and they ha- would have the exact same situation. And then I would look to my right and I'd see the CBC. They'd show up with two trucks, three cameras, four producers, a couple of interns. The, 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 the idea of doing more with less is a uh, is is endemic of all of Canadian media, with the exception of 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 the CBC. And the fact is, they're going through cuts right now. These are cuts that private um, the private broadcasters have been enduring for years, wave after wave yeah. after wave yeah. of cutback. They're just experiencing uh, what we've all experienced. So I feel very bad for anybody who who loses their job. I think the cream will rise to the top. I think the best people from there, if they lose their jobs, will find jobs elsewhere. But it's too big. It's too big. For, yeah. for what it does. My astute uh, journalist wife, I'll say this to you before we get to Mitzi to finish, is uh, she loved the fact that on TVO's coverage, the guests had to put their own microphones on. I love that. That's <laughs> We were a lean, mean operation. That's right. It was great. I, I loved it. They had to bring, Yeah, they had to bring their own water. Uh, it was fantastic. Mitzi, got a minute and a half here. What about the CBC? What should, by the way, if it was so big and bad towards uh, conservatives, I, I also don't know that somebody would be prime minister and win three elections in a row like Stephen Harper did. How do you view it? Yeah, you know, I, I just have to say I'm I'm a huge supporter of public broadcasting. I, I was on the board of TVO, as Steve knows, for mm-hmm. six years. And and I also I actually think public broadcasters really contribute to other broadcasters as well as people move around in the industry and in the sector. I, I also worry about Canada's voice and having having a national broadcaster covering in French and English talking about our own stories. You know, the CBC has put out an epic series on the black experience in Canada. You know, I've been watching that and and hearing things that I didn't even know. And so, you know, this is this is I believe this is nation building. But at the same time, relevance is important. And this is an opportunity to force a restructuring that perhaps is needed at this time. And it is yeah. in a climate where we're talking about, you know, Google and the $100 million. How is that going to be distributed? Everyone's now putting up their hand. And, uh, and I think that the, T- the CBC has more that it has to show yeah. in terms of, you know, we understand how hard these dollars are to earn wherever they come from, and we're going to be yeah. worthy of making the best use of them. Hey, Greg, I, Greg, I think, can, yeah, can I quick, 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 Real quick, quick, quick. So when I, was on, when I was on Canadian Idol, whether you like that show or not, that was a, sh- a Canadian-produced show that employed Canadians, that aired for Canadians, telling Canadian stories, singing Canadian songs mo- uh, most of the time. Yeah. And what did the CBC counter-program with? A Steven Spielberg miniseries about UFOs. They show Home Alone a lot. Yeah, this time of year, so I don't mind that uh, so much. So it holds I up. Can over get there. That I can get that anywhere. True, that's Greg, true. I get it anywhere. What about Home Alone Two: Lost in New York? Can you really find that on uh, on Blu-ray? With, with or anyway. without the Donald Trump scene? Uh, cut <laughs> well, well, um, well. Ben and I argue in the break about Macaulay Culkin movies. Mitzi, Steve, thank you so much for being on this morning. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, great to talk. Great to have you both, Mitzi Hunter, and of course uh, Steve Pakin, six forty contributor. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. 
Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.